Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Create More podcast. I have been fortunate enough uh, this fortnight to sit down with uh, with Mr. Ken Shutterworth. Um, he was very, very kind enough to, uh, to give me an hour of his time. Um, I should probably say that uh, Ken is my boss, uh, but come on, who doesn't want to interview their own boss? Um, to give you a bit of background, uh, Ken Shuttleworth, he used to work at Foster's um, and did some incredible projects. Uh, he worked on HSBC Bank in Hong Kong. He worked on the Gherkin, Wembley Stadium, the Millennium Bridge. Uh, yeah, had a fantastic career there. And then in 2003, decided to uh, set up his own practice, Make Architects. Um, and they've gone on to do some fantastic projects as well. We've done... The Olympic Handball Arena. We've done the Cuban Birmingham. We've uh, we've just finished Five Broadgate, which is uh, UBS Bank's headquarters uh, in Central London. Uh, who worked on that? Oh, yeah, no, that was me. Yep, a uh, bit of shameless self plugging there. Um, but a bit about Make. I mean, I think generally, if you don't know much about Make, we're a, we're an employee owned architecture practice, um, which is quite is unique in the architectural world. Uh, it's a very similar set up to John Lewis uh, employee owned basically means that we we the uh, we the people own the company so we get a profit share and yeah it's really cool it's um we talk about it in the podcast and talk about all sorts of stuff uh, how make started you know what what why the name make um yeah it was really really good fun and uh, i don't know many bosses who would uh, who would just let one of uh, their own staff just interview them um I should say a big thank you to uh, Martha, Carly and Sharon who uh, were very helpful in uh, setting all this up and uh, I thought there was a nice uh, a nice bit of coincidence that it was actually almost to the week where I'd been at Make for five years. So um, yeah, who doesn't want to sit down with their boss? I basically get to interview Ken uh, five years after he interviewed me and uh, I tell him an embarrassing story about the day I get interviewed. So all that and more and uh, listen to the end to hear who's on next podcast. Enjoy. It's the it's the perfect size of a of a soundproof room. I guess it would be good to uh, when we make it look slightly less like a uh, like a sensory deprivation room. <laughs> right, if you rotate the microphone a bit, and then it should uh, should be able to come a bit closer. There you go. I think that's fine. Good. Yeah. Hang on. Right. Oh, I think I turned the microphone off. Just your own kit. Yep. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, so I don't really have, it's kind of like a, a very free-form chat over, I guess, 45 minutes or an hour, how long time you've got. But the idea behind it is that uh, I've done five so far now, and uh, it's to kind of get to know the people behind practices. And and it starts off as, a, the way I describe it was like creative entrepreneurs, right? So mm-hmm. people who... Uh, I guess I've had the passion to go out and do something on their own. I think that's what I've been really drawn to. And obviously, working at Make, I get to see the inner workings. And then I thought, well, if I can get the opportunity to sit down and chat with you, that'd be amazing. But I, uh, I feel I should, I should describe the podcast format just because the ones I really like. I don't know if you listen to podcasts very often. Occasionally, but, yeah. Not um, really. The ones that are quite popular now seem to be like a. People are so used to sound bites and bits and pieces that um, I think people what. I respond more to like a, a an actual chat as opposed to like a series of bullet pointed questions, and uh, I know the ones that are really popular uh, are ones that are in that format. So I, I sat down with uh, David Batch, uh, David Bachelor, and uh, I don't think I think he thought I was going to do a writing interview. So when I pulled out all the audio equipment, I think he's a little bit surprised. But um, yeah, now I am recording. I don't really have a huge introduction, but I am here with uh, with Ken Shuttleworth. Thank you very much. Hello. And uh, I feel I should describe to people who aren't familiar where we are. We're in a very, very, very small soundproof room, which you very generously allowed me to kind of to kind of build. But I wanted to 
start the podcast with um, just talking about the new studio, to be honest, mm -hmm. uh, because I felt externally our our 10th annual was like a real milestone and kind of makes history yeah. uh, externally. But I thought internally for me, anyway, the, this studio has been a, it's been a massive milestone. And uh, I was, if you noticed a kind of change or is, is it, is it exactly what you wanted? I mean, if, if you describe it a bit, I guess, to people who haven't been to the studio. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, for the first 10 years, we've sort of been very generously looked after by Arab. <clears throat> so we've been sort of camping in Arab's buildings um, around Fitzrovia. And, it, and as an area, it's an area where I first came to London in 74, I started working in, in Fitzrovia. So when I set up Make, <clears throat> I wanted to move the office back into this area because it's such a great, great area to actually be in. Um, and um, <clears throat> the chance came up to actually look at our own space. And I think that's been the, the big change you're talking about. The fact is actually, you know, for the first time, a sort of Make designed... Um, sort of building um, yeah. project and you know just to describe it's actually an underground car park so it's <laughs> it's below street level um, and that's because rents in the area have just gone through the roof and to actually stay in this area as a you know as a sort of architect we needed to get the rent down um, and by going underground we obviously you know get a cheaper rent than being above ground which is you know it's been a great benefit so we can stay in Fitzrovia long as we go underground yeah and what's been great about this particular car park that we've converted is the fact it's light on all four sides so we've actually got um sort of even though it's like light wells on the on the uh, street side and on the back so it's fine we've got the light from where the ramp used to be coming yeah. down to the car park we've actually got a courtyard um that used to be uh, part of the car park that had a sort of horrible um sort of uh, plastic roof on it. We took that off and made it into a garden. I think that's what surprises everyone when they come down. When I describe people, we're in, a, we're in an old car park, people are like, that sounds really dark. But it, it isn't at all. It doesn't, no. at no point has it ever felt dark. I think that's, I guess, uh, I guess that's uh, down to like Charlie's good, good hard work at doing all the lighting layouts. But <laughs> I think people are really, people really love coming down here. I think because yeah. we've got one of the largest reception lobbies of anywhere in London, I think because mm. we've got the whole ramp I, I guess part of, part of the thing I like was um, uh, there's a kind of story of make as you come down. You know, you've got all these models yeah. as you as you come down the ramp, and then we've also got you, you've been quite keen in getting the maker bots, the little rapid prototype yeah, machines. Robots, yeah, is that something you want to see more of? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the um, coming down the ramp should become a sort of uh, introduction to make. You know, you're not good at you can't see straight into the office from the street. You can see into the into the reception area. So we're going to do you know you doing that sort of um, wild sort of art installation. We, should, <laughs> we look forward to that. Um, but as you come down the ramp, the idea is to sort of show some of the work. So by the time mm. you get to the bottom. Um, you actually you know you've actually understood what we're all about. So we actually are architects. We do design buildings. Yeah. You know, and they're actually up on the wall. And I think the um, the robots that make the models, you know, to have those whirring away um, in you know in reception, I think is the best yeah. place to put them. So we're going to get a hundred of them. <laughs> I think there's about six at the moment. Wicked. Uh, we're going to have about a hundred of them, and they're all going to be whirring away. Um, you know, making the models. Um, you know, because they're quite cheap to make, and it's a great great thing. I think yeah, people in, as well. Uh, the thing I like is it, we're working with massive developers. So so they're uh, they're very used to uh, what understandably quite a corporate environment, and um, I think if we go back a bit, we had was it the tenth anniversary in this car park last year? Yeah, it was at the client party. Wasn't yeah, it? the client party. Yeah. And uh, what was what was great is that we brought all all the biggest developers that we worked with, and we brought them into an empty car park. This is before we'd done anything, and. You, I, you, we got food stalls, and it was yeah. We drove in trucks down the ramp, and yeah. sort of set up stalls in the in and the you car had park. Graffiti artists yeah. had done some of the walls, and I remember seeing it going. I remember sorry, I remember hearing the response to them, and everyone loved it. Yeah, they say, don't whatever you do, don't change it too much. Yeah. just keep it as it is. We love it because people just assumed it was some sort of party venue they hadn't been to before. You know, <laughs> so it was it was quite a it was a good event actually. It was a great event, and it sort of um, kicked us all off. You know, into sort of the, th the way we've actually tackled the space architecturally is to sort of really leave it, mm. leave the rawness of it. So we've just shot blasted the concrete slab. Um, just to get rid of the sort of flaking plaster. But we've left the columns as they were. So all the graffiti and all the sort of markings that's been on the columns for 50 years is still there. Um, and then we've just, you know, just put some um, silver paper around the services that serves service the building above. Mm. Um, and we've just put lighting where we can get where we can get lighting between the services. So it's been very, um, you know, very simply done in a crystal concrete floor, which has got underfloor heating and cooling. Mm. And that's it. Because I remember... Um, 
one of the benefits, and I think one of the things which which we kind of struggled with in this is when we were in our old Arab office, so the last well, the one we were in before this one for about a year or a year and a half, wasn't it? And um, when we first moved in, we we had so many people we could move them across two floors, mm. and I um, I always remember you said the kind of we always want make on one floor yeah and yeah i remember working on broadgate when ubs like no we need these big floor plates they're a requirement we need all people and i never really understood why can't you be on two floors why do you have to be on one and i genuinely the difference it makes having everyone on one big open floor mm. it is amazing I yeah i mean i you know i think everybody has to be together i mean the, yeah. the great thing is the scheme um the projects have always um allowed us to sort of work open plans so, you know the fact we all work in you know one space all have the same desk all have the same chair mm. it's always been important to me um there's no little sailor offices for people to go and hide away in um, now, basically, the whole office is, you know, is very democratic on that basis. And we can, and in fact, we're all together in one space with no walls, I think, is, you know, enables cross-fertilization of ideas from one project yeah. to the next, allows people to feel part of a sort of social scene, you know, and the hubs become the coffee, sh- coffee points. Um, you know, the bins are sort of breakout areas. Yeah. The garden become a sort of little hub for everybody to get together. But I think the, you know, going back to your original point, I think that the, you know, the change of coming here, um, you know, is like a dream come true for mm-hmm. me. It's like after ten or nearly twelve years now, um, you know, finally got our own space, which has got our own identity. You know, it's quite lean and keen, which is what we're about. Mm-hmm. Um, no frills. Um, you know, down to earth, sort of basic. Um, you know, stuff with IKEA furniture and stuff we've made ourselves. You know, it's nothing, nothing too posh. Because it, 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 again, I was. Uh, I think when clients come in, it, it kind of sets the scene for for any meetings. Or I, I, that's why I think so successful is that mm. they. Uh, I guess the hardest thing to describe to a, a client or a developer is the added value that make give to a, to a project, right? And it, when they see just all the models, all the model making machines, everything kind of whirring away and then they get deeper and deeper into this kind of, and then they come into our main office and they've got like hundred, you know, hundred and, how many people in the office? Hundred and thirty? There's 170 of us in total, so there's probably about 150 here, 140, 50 here. Wow. Yeah. So, um, I think, because I know a few, quite a few people listening to this podcast aren't, they, the idea is that it's a creative podcast. As I've done, I sat with architects and designers and, and musicians as well. So, it's kind of, it's nice to try and, describe and kind of go back to the beginning a bit so um if we um because if if we kind of i'd like because i don't know and i've not had the chance to talk to you about how kind of make very first started so you, you left foster's back in so what, 15 to 2000 so yeah so i started architecture 74 and i was at foster's for until 2004 so i was there 30 years and i got to 50 um and I decided that, you know, it was like a now or never moment to sort of do something else. Because I could easily have said at Foster's, great mm. place, great, did some fantastic work there. Um, and I could see, you know, Norma's going to live forever. So, you know, I could see myself staying <laughs> there, um, you know, for the rest of my career, which would have been great. Um, but I think I got to 50 and I had a sort of moment in time. I just thought um, all the projects are either um, being built or, you know, in the hands of the contractor. Uh, and it was like a sort of now or never moment Um you know, 19, when you get to 50, I think you do have, you'll probably find out you have a bit of a midlife crisis, you know. Um, and, you know and, you, and I just thought, you know, it's like now and ever to do something else. So, in fact, I never thought I'd do my own practice. I thought I'd go and work for somebody else. So I had interviews. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I had, uh, I had about 12 job offers uh, for various architects. Um, and I thought I might help with the Olympic bid or, you know, something like that um, at the time. Um and anyway, then when I had, you know, these job offers, and they were really generous job offers from various people, I thought, well, actually, I might as well give it a go because, you know, if I don't, if I, you know, if I have a go on my own, it doesn't work out, you know, at least three of them probably still offer me a job. So I might as well just give it a go. Yeah. So, uh, so I thought, um, so we broke up for Christmas and I had you know, Christmas thinking about it over that two-week period and came back on the um, 2nd of January and just started you know, sat in Arab, Arabs were great. They gave us a desk um, and a phone. And by lunchtime, um, James Thomas, uh, who, who joined us, joined by lunchtime. There was about another person by the evening, you know, and the following day, somebody else joined him. And it just gradually um, uh, sort of built over over that time. And, and we clients were very generous. You know, we had clients who came to us who then paid us up front for doing some work. So we never had to borrow any money, which was really good. Um, and it set up in the first um, first six months. Um, we we didn't. I didn't take a salary out of the practice at all. And the first three months, nobody took a salary out, so they came uh-huh. for nothing. Um, and then at the end of three months, we paid. I paid everybody who'd worked for that three months their three months uh, back pay, and I pay myself after. I think it was a year. 
my first six months um, wow. salary. So we, we you know, we didn't actually borrow any money. We absolutely very generously let us use the office, um, you know, using the photocopy machines. Um, you know, it was, uh, it actually worked, you know, it was really, it was really good for us. And I think it was, um, you know, without our output, it would be much more difficult. So their computer systems were available to us and we just plumbed straight into that. And from the very first day, were you... It was make the it was the because the name yeah, of make no, we had, that work clear in your head and yeah no no before that I'd had a, about a month um, of thinking about uh, names and I come up with I went through a thesaurus and you know started sort of googling names and things and I had all sorts of other names like um, uh, one was Blue Dot I remember um, <laughs> one in fact was Populous believe it or not oh, really um, yeah um, uh, one was uh, Adas you know these are names that now are familiar. Other to other architects, but they, at the time they weren't available. If you go to the stores, you find them. Anyway, I decided, you know, I've always been a great believer. You just got to get an expert involved. So you go to the, you know, you don't go to the dentist. You know, you go, you don't pull your teeth out. You go to a dentist. Yeah. So I thought, um, and it's the same in graphics. That's why we have graphics people here. So I went to see um, a friend of mine, Brian Borden, who ran Wolf Owens at the time, and gave him the problem of coming up with a name. Because so I just thought, well, you know, I'm not going to get there on my own. Um, and out of the sort of 4,000 names I'd looked at, Make wasn't on any of the lists at all. And it was their name. They came up with it. All phones did. Um, oh, wow. Well, they me. first of all, tried to persuade me to use Shuttleworth, um, which I really didn't want to do because I, I know I just felt um, the whole philosophy of Make was about, um, <clears throat> in a way, the idea of employee ownership started at that point, the idea that it would be uh, a practice that... Um, there weren't any shares split out. Everybody, all the shares are in a pot mm. um, and nobody actually owns any shares. Um, everybody's effectively working, you know, as a partner in the business because um, all the, nobody else, nobody actually owns it. It's all, we all own it in a mm. way. Um, so that starts, so I didn't really want my name on the front door because, you know, if I go under a bus, you lose your brand. Um, mm. You know, everybody would always phone me up and want me in every meeting. Um, and also, I never really liked my name. <laughs> it's not a great name, you know. Um, so, um, so they came after persuading me. After they, I managed to persuade them not to use Shuttleworth. They didn't. Yeah. They did come up with Make in about three days, or four days. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, Damn them. and it's absolutely brilliant. And I just thought, the moment I heard it, I thought, what? And I thought, yeah, wow, that's fantastic. Because I, I, you know, you're saying it's about the the Make ethos. I do think that every time you answer the phone and you say where do you work, Make, not where do you work, Shuttleworth. So I think because yeah. you're not. There's no specific name. I guess you feel you kind of ingrained. You feel more in, yeah, in, in as it, part of a team. It's easy to give credit to people who do their job. You know, it's easy mm. to um, succession's easier without you know having a name on the. You know, think of the business, businesses have got a name. And if, you know, when the guy dies, they've got to come up with a. You know, they just go to initials or something like that, like mm. SOM KPF. Um, so I think it, that's always difficult. Um, and if you do, you know, if you set up a little, uh, had a name on the door, maybe you know, having two names on the door, yeah. then somebody else comes, you know, three names on the door, you know. So I just thought, you know, it's no, I had no idea where it's going to go. So it's much easier to have an abstract yeah. name that has something to do with what we actually do. You know, we make buildings basically. And also, it, it must stand out as well. Like, mm. there's, there's so many kind of architecture practices when you first started, it makes quite a, a bold name. I was trying to think of what other. Other names, I guess, a lot of them like big or fat. They're kind of yep. the, the the big one. They're, they're still based on initials and stuff, aren't they? Yeah. So yeah, I thought, I thought, yeah, make must really stand out. And the press. Did you have a good relationship with the press right from the off then? Because I think they had. They were quite helpful in kind of. Um, well, I mean, the thing is, when I decided, to, you know, I had to leave. I wanted to leave Foster's. I was, um, you know, I never really thought I'd get another job. I thought, you know, that actually. Never knew who I was, and uh, it's going to be quite difficult. Um, but I mean, what actually happened was exactly the opposite of that. People did know exactly who I was, and what I'd been doing the last thirty years. Um, you know, and the, some some of the press were really good, and they, mm-hmm. you know, they encouraged us to, um, you know, to do more work and get more noticed. And in fact, the first um, six months, we got fantastic press without releasing any images at all. And then the first image we did release was the uh, the Vortex scheme we did for, for London, um, which then made the front page of The Guardian wow. <laughs> on the Saturday morning, um, which was quite a surprise, to be absolutely honest. Did you find like a jump in when you got on the front page of The Guardian? You're like, all right, this is it's, I'm getting, going it's somewhere now. To happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I've, um, you know, I think right from the outset, everybody says it's going to be fantastic, except I was really quite, you know, wasn't quite that sure about yeah. it. Um, you know, who knew? I mean, you know, 
things happen in buildings and um you know the way buildings come in the way projects you know evolve is you know you're just never quite sure what's going to happen um so i was always a bit cautious about it to be absolutely honest so we you know we did um in terms of people who who came to join us we 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 actually did match that to the income so we you know we never went bonkers and employed loads of people then tried to get some work we actually waited the money started to flow and then as the money started to flow um you know employ more people to actually do the work we had um so when you when you kind of sat down first day first kind of i guess team meeting group meeting you're like oh God, we're a practice now. Uh. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it was all about getting the work. So we were on the phone. I was traipsing the streets. I had, um, you know, my little rucksack had um, just about everything that the office owned was in my rucksack. So, <laughs> you know, the little booklet and we started doing little brochures and things. Um, using my house really as the sort of um, the only project that would you could legitimately say. That was, know, the, cre- was the Crescent, the Crescent house, house. Yeah, um, which had been built. Um, it wasn't a foster project, so it was... That was a good project to actually start, mm. you know, touting around. Um, but, you know, going around, seeing everybody, seeing developers, seeing planners, yeah. you know, Peter Reese, I remember seeing Stuart Lipton, seeing him, um, you know, lots and lots of people trying to trying to sort of gauge, you know, how we could get some get some projects and start small and, you know, we'd be got bigger ones as we, as we went through. Did you feel at the beginning that you were trying to, because especially if the Crescent House was the first project you did, trying to... I guess people would come, they would know you from Foster's. So inevitably yeah. they would be like, well, can you can you do another building like that? And yeah. Make was never about, it's never about repeating projects. It was about starting afresh and stuff. And I was like, the Crescent House was like a, what a great first project to have because it's, it's kind of interesting. And it, it, did you feel that you were still, a, I guess, finding not a brand, but but a way that Make approaches projects? That was kind of, That's your brand, isn't it? That's the kind of Make ethos, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always seen design as an exploration. So I'm always, you know, looking at um, moving design on. And I think it's uh, about, it's like a sort of pursuit, like a search for the next best idea. So, you know, I'm not interested in coming up with a house style that we just repeat, mm. um, you know, in a way that sort of uh, other architects do. I'm interested in just, you know, we've done one in straw, let's look at one in, you know, in concrete, let's look at something in brick, let's, you know, let's mm. look at materials, let's look at um, different ways of doing things and I think the you know the the absolute essence of make is trying to do the best possible building on that particular site at this moment in time for that client mm. for his budget and I think that's what we try and do so every project is sort of eked out of the site you know and I think massive site analysis um, for me you know gives you that that sort of asymmetrical um, so the Crescent has been asymmetrical you know some of the projects being very asymmetrical because yeah. of the the site actually you know having railway lines on one side you know and maybe a park on the side you know why are buildings symmetrical I never yeah. quite get it um, so I think that's that sort of eking out this, the um, essence of the site um, gives you that unique quality plus the clients beliefs mm. plus where we are now you know and what we know now in time about you know green, greenhouse gases global warming um you know what we know about the materials we can use you know we are building right this moment yeah. you know what we believe in so the five broadgate scheme that you worked on that was all about you know this is a moment in time um that you know where we got stainless steel sorted mm. um we you know where we had a client who was really interested in low energy building so we could get rid of all the glass that we didn't need um you know actually coming up with something that's very strong and actually then turning the five broadgate scheme turning on its head the normal approach which is not like a sort of you have an office building you add things to the outside and express them individually to actually push all that together and squash it into mm. a, a single form i think is um it's fantastic because broadgates we've just signed practical completion like two, yeah. two or three weeks ago yeah. is that has that felt like um because it seems crazy now when i first started uh it was we'd done i think it was 20 projects or maybe 15 to 20 projects but it was this was everyone was like this so out of the recession mm. uh, or kind of we were just kind of still in it i guess in 2010 but the idea that to have a project on site uh, that's why i leapt at the chance to work on broadgate i was like oh, brilliant but it was everyone was not getting on site i think that was a problem and then mm. you know fast forward to now you got everything's on site everything's on site yeah, yeah. and well that's, that's the case the, you know, the market is, is cyclical i mean you know 2007 8 um was the bottom of the market i think it hit us in 2009 um more than 2008 um anyway, and it's gradually slowly been going rising up mm. again over the last um um well, it's nearly eight years isn't it um 
But, you know, I think it will go down again. No, no doubt it will go down again. So yeah. there's, there's a sort of, you know, there's this this way that the the workload goes up and down, but they're you know, trying to keep the number mm. of um, employees the same is always very tough. Um, but I think at the moment we are in the moment where we're actually building stuff that's been around since post, um, since post Lehman's, which we're now building out. Um, and we've got about 17 buildings on site, I think. Mm. I think we've built 50 now. Uh, in the last 12 years. So yeah, it's quite a quite a portfolio of stuff. I also remember um, working on Broadgate. That was seen, it was such a big building for us to have in comparison to the projects that we'd uh, kind of completed up until then. And uh, now you look at Broadgate, it's just, it's we've, we're doing, I guess, three or four projects that are yeah. that big or bigger. Yeah. And uh, it just, it, but... You know, we're just carrying on. It's, it's make has just kind of grown around. In, everyone's yeah. become more experienced over the last yep. five years. So it's been well for me anyway. Just to to be here and kind of see it all kind of evolve around. I am. Um, I just said that I joined. I think I realised kind of nicely that a year ago, uh, five years ago, pretty much this week, this is when I joined Make. So actually, this is kind of like uh, I. I also um, going back to kind of how Make set up as a practice was um, if you ask anyone uh what they know about wake or anything the first thing they say is it's supposed to be a nice place to work full of Mm. nice people yeah and um which to me seems really obvious but i know a few friends who are like yeah their practices aren't like this you know (laughs) because you can genuinely ask anyone any questions like i did just come up to you and just ask if i could do a podcast and you said yeah and you just let me soundproof this room and sit down with you and this idea of transparency in a company as well uh you're like yeah but is it as transparent as you want and it's like well you want to ask anyone a question ask anyone a question yeah i mean yeah the, the, you know everything's on on show uh, everybody knows you know all the finances of the office is all out there for people to see um anything i've never released to the salaries i never quite understood the benefits of doing that but um if somebody can convince me that's a good idea we could do it but i, I <laughs> haven't found anybody who's ever said it's a good idea so all the others but everything else everyone knows what's you know for profitability because we share the profit you know yeah. there's no you know it's not like you know i'm going away buying yachts and, and airplanes you know i'm not doing that i don't i have the same I have a salary like everybody else i get the bonus the same percentage as everybody else um or profit share is not really a bonus a profit share um, you know, I still have a big mortgage. I mean, that's, you know, people ask me what was the downside of the, you know, the employee ownership model. And I think, you know, I mean, working with fantastic people, doing great projects, um, you know, everybody feels happy. Everybody yeah. sort of mucks in. It's, you know, it's, an, it's a really good model. And the only downside is the fact I'm not a multimillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, but what would I do with the money anyway? So, I'm, you know, I'm really, really happy. Yeah. That, you know, I'm not taking, you know, not taking that stance. Um, and I'm really happy the way that we've done it. It yeah. works really well. And I, I, you know, one day I'll pay my mortgage off and it'll be fine. One day, one day. Because <laughs> I, I remember, I remember when you, because I got the interview, like, oh, you can come work for me. And I was, I was, I was it was a really hot summer and I came in and I, this is kind of, it's a funny story because it just kind of, it set the scene on how approachable I did find you, that you were. It was, uh, I'd built this massive Perspex portfolio and we went down in the meeting room of our old office and mm. I'd like, I'd stuck my letter name on the front and it's huge. It was so cumbersome and you were flicking through all the work and it got to the end of the interview and you're like, oh, thanks. And I was like, well, I hope that went well. And we were putting all my work back in and I couldn't quite get it to fit. And as I dragged my portfolio around the table, one of the letters pinged off onto the floor of my portfolio and it fell under the table. And I was like, oh, no, embarrassing. <laughs> and then you're like, it was fine, I'll go and get it. So, like, you were under the table. I was trying to find the other letter under the table. And I was like, oh, I'm crawling around under the table. Can't you do it? And then, but I just remember thinking, oh, I've blown it. And then got the phone call. But it just, it was nice just, just to think that, yeah, just, um, it's a friendly company. And I remember yeah. just going out and sitting down with, uh, with Jamie and just thinking, mm. <laughs> but it did set the scene. I just thought, yeah, it's going to be great. And then... I was thinking the next, what I did want to talk about as well, so we've, got, we've talked about the practice, was um, one thing I think make a really good at as well is social media side of things. And yeah. I've been, all the other people I've chatted to about podcasts and things, um, I, I, I just want to like, what, what do you think of social media? Because you, you're very active oh, on it. Twitter, yeah, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, almost addicted to it. I wouldn't say totally addicted to it, but, I, you know, I do follow Twitter. Um, I haven't, actually, I haven't done Facebook. I did register, but I've never actually used it. Mm. Um, so, Maybe I just, you know, maybe it's just too many things with emails and Twitter's probably enough yeah. um, without <laughs> carrying on. I've actually got to do some work during the day as well. Um, but no, I think it's great. And I think, you know, we have Kylie, who is a full-time mm. um, tweeterer. 
whatever the expression is, tweeter. Yes. Um, you know, and that's, you know, people here tweet. Um, and I think the only, you know, the only thing is just to be careful, I think, with social media. You know, you can see people get caught um, yeah. saying the wrong thing. Um, you know, in, um, you've just got to be really careful what you say in those, in those 147 characters. So I think it's, I like it, you know, but, you, you know, I wouldn't do it... Um, when I wasn't concentrating, yeah, I wouldn't. The, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble with 147 characters. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think, it's, you know, you've just got to use it sensibly. And I, I try and use it for architecture. So, you know, I might, there might be the odd personal stuff, which is always interesting. But I think the, um, you know, if I'm going to see a building, you know, just been to um, Italy and sent back some you know, images of San Gimignano, you know, that sort mm. of stuff. If I, um, you know, I just think that that side, or been to Mumbai, you know, just took some photographs of that and sent those back. I think it's, you know, just sort of showing uh, for architects, you know, something that's interesting. I got about 6,000 followers. So, mm, yeah, wow. so it's pretty, um, some people's interesting what I have to say. So do you think it's, do you think it is helpful after an architecture practice? I mean, we yeah. wouldn't, we wouldn't, because we've, yeah. we've got a massive kind of Twitter yeah. following like 10 or 11,000 people yeah, and yeah. it's, so you do think it's an advantage? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I was in um, Istanbul and I sent a tweet saying it's great to be back in Istanbul. Um, you know, fantastic place. You know, great. I got a, tw uh, um, a tweet from somebody saying I'm a journalist here in Istanbul. Can I come and see you? You know, I run an architectural magazine. So I said, great. When we met, you know, and it was all over the all over the wire, so everybody could see what was going on. Um, so you know, we met for breakfast, and we had an interview. She took a photograph, and she just and we had a magazine article about us being in Istanbul. You know, within about three months, and the same happened in Delhi. I had the same thing happening in Delhi. So a journalist found out I was in Delhi on my on Twitter, uh, came to see me, and we, you know, she then published a complete article about make and photographs and everything. So I think that that's been good. And I think, um, you know, it's it interesting if if um, if I'm interviewing somebody for a job here, I will see if they've got a Twitter account, see what they're saying. Oh, really? Um, you know, if the client um, we get a new client, we see if they've got Twitter accounts and. Yeah, you know, some of our clients do, some of the clients don't. But I think it's, you know, it's interesting to sort of, you get a different perspective on personality by... by I guess you, you kind of touched on a point there as well, that you're in India. Yeah. And you're, you're around the world. Because when Make First, when Make started, we were obviously just, uh, you know, you were very small in London. It's grown very quickly. But now yeah. we've got... Office. We've had offices in Dubai, had offices, in, and then you had one in Scotland and Birmingham, but then branched out even further to Hong Kong. We've we've got work in Sydney now. Yeah, we've got, basically got an office in Sydney, like yeah. a small satellite office and things. Yeah. So, and Beijing, Beijing, yeah, of course, mm. yeah. And so, Twitter again must. There you go. It's a perfect example. But having such a, you know, we were saying about the recession and kind of how you're trying to control that flow of work. Yeah, yeah. Having a kind of, well, I guess, a worldwide. Yeah, base I mean, of potential architecture must help hugely. Yeah, I mean, I think when in 2008, when Lehman's went down, um, you know, I had stopped recruitment in 2007. So actually, since Northern Rock went down, I stopped recruitment. Um, people still, other architects were still going bonkers and recruiting. And we stopped and we had a struggle because we had got, we got work to do that we couldn't really, um, you know, we were struggling with a number of people we actually had. Um, but the, the interesting thing was we then, we also had a base in Beijing at that point. And mm. then the I, then what actually happened was um, to chase work when it was going to, we could see the recession, I could see the recession was going to come. Um, but we went all over the world looking for work. So we went to South America, we went to all over the Middle East um, and in, in the Far East. And in fact, the Far East is where it actually did did work. Yeah. And we did get work in China and Hong Kong. Um, and that, in a way, was supporting the office through 2009 when mm. we was, they were sending work back for us to do here rather than the other way around. Really? What yeah. The, wow. Yeah, and that was, and it worked really well. They had, you know, four or five major jobs and we were, were doing them here. And that, and I think that's the most incredible thing is that, you know, makes, you know, and we actually, you know, have an affinity to the Far East, I think, as a, as a practice. Mm. You know, I, think I worked in Hong Kong many years on the bank and again on the airport. Um, and lots of guys here from Hong Kong. So, you know, we have an affinity to go and we can easily, you know, move to the Far East tomorrow, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, whereas the Middle East proved more challenging and we didn't really get any work in the Middle East. Um, and I think, you know, South America, America is much more difficult for us to get into. But I think, you know, we we will just, um, we can go anywhere, you know, we've yeah. got a global reach. And I think, um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's no... No places off the off the map that we wouldn't want to go to. Um, well, when you did the when you did the email saying we need some more people in Sydney, it was yeah. like a, whose hand went up the fastest. It was yeah. like, yeah, I'll go, yeah, okay, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I think. Um, but we again, I remember. You know, we've got quite a lot of work in India as well, yeah. and 
you you kind of get the feeling that with with the team that we've got here and the and I guess the whole infrastructure that we have means that as you just said you know work can come back here or work can go around there you can kind of get almost 24 hour working I guess to yeah, the point you can, just yeah, yeah. constantly kind of churning away because you know you're saying you're struggling to, at the beginning to get work in, in certain places but you said Hong Kong because I heard you say in another talk that you love Hong Kong yeah Hong Kong was brilliant yeah, so yeah, I guess trying to get work there was uh, I think we should go back to Hong Kong again I think we should just keep keep going to Hong Kong but how, how long were you in Hong Kong for? Um, I was I worked on Hong Kong Bank in um, back in late well, late 30 years ago actually so I was there for about on the project for about 7 or 8 years of which I went to Hong Kong um, probably every month for a couple of years and then I lived there for about 3 nearly 4 years while the bank was being built and then we had a 10 year gap and then we went back on the airport and I commuted um, back and forth um, to Hong Kong for about two, three years, um, probably every month, every two months. Wow! So I, you know, I know it really well, and um, you know, it's it's one of those, it's one of the most exciting places in the world to go. You know, compared to um, other cities, it's you know, really vibrant place. Um, Could you describe uh, you? I think it was a talk on tall buildings, and you were saying like New York has this wonderful green space in the middle in Manhattan, mm. Central Park, and that's this kind of that's the release and you went Hong Kong just literally running on pure energy because yeah. I went there I think I went there four or five years ago and uh, we, me and my wife had been travelling around and then when we got to Hong Kong it was like being in a movie set everything was so clean everything was seemed just so new and so it was just massive and that was you know how no, no one knows how, how big it's going to get but I just think it must be so exciting for you because I guess when, when you, once you've got to a point where at Foster's you worked on so many massive projects all around the world then you started make and make it be doing really well like kind of what what kind of i guess not drives you but what keeps you kind of interested is it like oh no i mean i just um i'm just very curious i mean i you know i've got a um great curiosity for exploration and um you know, almost like an adventurer trying to um to work so i mean i've got you know there's no way of retirement there's no sort of you know that's not even an option um, because I just cannot stop, you know, thinking about the next building, thinking about how we yeah. can save the planet, um, you know, thinking about how, you know, what there's still so much to do. You know, we've got to design buildings which are much more energy efficient, which, you know, we're striving towards, yeah. but we've got to get there. We, you know, we've got to keep going until we get there, um, you know, until we get to zero carbon or positive carbon. I think that's, uh, you know, really drives me on. I think there's, you know, there's so much more to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> the idea of stopping uh, is completely out of question. But, I, you know, for me, I think it's... Um, it's about, you know, it doesn't have to be bigger projects. I think just, you know, better projects or, um, you know, being able to do things in a different way, you know, I'm really interested in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we still do smaller projects and shops and things, which yeah. are great. Still do interiors projects and, you know, small, small scale houses. Um, just as satisfying as, as a larger job. Because it's, I guess as well, the, the nice thing about having all of us on the same floor is that what I like now is that there's so many projects going on. And mm -hmm. obviously for you, this is way better that you can... I can walk around and there's meetings going on. You can look into rooms. There's all sorts of like models and stuff that it, why would you retire? It's like, why, why wouldn't would you I want do? to? Yeah. What the hell would I do? <laughs> Just keep going home and then what? But also I've got a five-year-old son, so I can't retire. Anyway, I've got to go through university. Yet, so <laughs> okay. I've got at least 15 years Especially ahead Especially if he's going to be an architecture student. There's uh, <laughs> an unlimited amount of resources required. So, so I was going to also, I also ask you, because you, I heard you talking about BIM and uh, yeah. you're saying it's just a design tool. Yeah. And uh, so for those you know, like building information modeling is kind of the next the mm -hmm. next thing that mm -hmm. we're trying to move into, isn't it? And a lot of our buildings, I think as an industry, we're still trying to find our footing for kind of how, especially for architects, I know how we implement BIM, how it's best yeah. to be used. But I think sketching and stuff, you, you've been in the industry now, you've seen the kind of the CAD get introduced and the whole 3d and then everything but there's no kind of has it changed a huge amount because i know when we're doing the project that we're working on at the moment we're still referencing buildings from 50 years ago yeah 70 years ago yeah. you know like the all the all the same things are there so do you think bims from architecture point of view changed the industry a huge amount? I, well no i think i mean you know i remember the big change from drawing boards to computers and it was you know it was like state changing from sort of coal to electricity on, on the on, you know on the on the um, railways it must have been it's a massive massive change and a lot of us you know um who'd been brought up on drawing boards you know just didn't want to make a change um a lot of architects you know fought it 
um, to be absolutely honest at the time. But because now, you know, just it's just a no brainer. You know, everybody's got a computer and we all draw, everything gets drawn, sketched in. It's still a sketch, but, you know, they still get drawn up on the computer. Um, and I think what it, what it did was actually as a sort of freedom um, for a while when people understood that computers could operate. They could, you could start designing buildings with sort of double curves, mm-hmm. you know, sort of very complicated shapes. Um, you know, we have uh, we met a guy from Geary's office. And they just make a model and they scan it in. And oh, really? They, yeah. They use a scanner, scan the whole model in, and they work on the computer no from the scan model. Yeah. And we've got we're going to we're buying the kit that they've got um, to be able to do that. But I think it's um, you know I think the computer is just a you know it's a fantastic uh, tool. You know, I mean the skin work at the moment where you can see the building spin around it yeah. in three dimensions. You know, which in the old days you know you literally are making out of bits of cardboard and you are actually sort of you know moving much slower than we do now you know we you know i think scheme work project working now has got schemes number 235 or something where, yeah. you know, in the old days you, know, you probably have about 10 schemes you probably wouldn't get that many um so i think it, you know it has that ability but and i think bim you know is is um, a development of that you know we all we've been designing in three dimensions for you know certainly for mate when mate was set up mm. you know nottingham university was all built in three dimensions and it, and the the drawings were sliced through the model um, mm. So it was a complete model um, rather than individual 2D drawings. So I think we've been doing it. It's just the BIM is the next next level up. And we are, we're running both Revit and Ecosim to try and find out which is the best system. And about 50% of the jobs mm. at the moment are actually in um, in BIM. It does seem that that, yeah. that that Revit and BIM just seems to be kind of sliced down the middle at the moment. It's kind of, I guess it'd be interesting to see if the industry chooses a preference. Revit but... and Ecosim, you mean? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Ecosim, it, yeah. Well, Ecosim is you know, becoming more um, useful... Um, Big infrastructure projects, so rail, big rail projects, big sort uh, okay. of pipeline projects. Whereas Revit's stuck to the buildings. Um, the problem is that all the computers we've got are Bentley systems. So yeah. to change to Revit is a bit of a bit of a move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like, well, it's it, again, it's it's a whole different language. It's a whole yeah. different thing to get into. So it's kind of I can almost see us moving to kind of CAD technicians again because it, it is. Well, it that, is that a, would be a sh- I mean, that's what happened when we moved to drawing from drawing boards to, to computers. We had CAD CAD technicians. You used yeah. to sit next to the guy with your drawing. You used to put in each line for you. Um, that sounds yeah. laborious. Yeah. So I think you know. I think we need to get the architects here. You know, and the architects being trained to actually work in both Revit and Ecosim and actually, mm. or just one of them, if, if Revit becomes the way to go, because that's where we need to be. We do need to be in it. And it is fantastic. And I don't want the you know, a resistance from all the Bentley uh, microstation guys, um, you know, not to want to do it, because yeah. that, that would mean they become dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a way that, you know, if you're on a drawing board, um, you know, you become the dinosaur. But do you it, think, because um, there's... You were saying about uh, you want to make a zero carbon building or a zero yep. a carbon positive building. Yep. Do, again, do you think BIM allows us a more opportunity to? Um, I do don't. You... I don't see that side of it. No, maybe it does, but I, maybe I haven't understood it. But I, I don't see how she helping that at all. Really, I think it's, it's just a it's a tool for coordination that enables us to do better and better coordinated buildings. So you know you don't get things not fitting on site. Mm. Um, you know, steel work going up at the moment on. Um, on London Wall Place, it's all fitting together beautifully. You know, it's all been done. It's all been thought about in three dimensions before it actually hits the site. And I think that's the benefit of it. And and I think with the with the clients' benefits, obviously, at the end of the day, they get a sort of uh, complete set of drawings of the building. They can just bar code. Um, you know what the light bulb, and they can they can look on the drawings. They get told what the light bulb actually is. I think that's the benefit. We haven't. I think we've actually fully understood the benefit yeah. for us. Um, other than you know, it's more like a, um, an FM. Um, yeah. benefit at the moment that's what i kind of how i feel as well yeah. but i mean we're kind of coming up to the 40 minute mark so I, i'll slowly start to kind of wrap this up a little bit but i did want to talk about um sharon gave me a list of uh other things that you've been doing around make and quite an extensive list actually so i was going through and you had like your yeah, cave which has now become uh, yeah. like a it's a new thing i can't remember what it's called now design council design yeah. council yeah and yeah. then you also in the future you where you you are running the future spaces foundation yeah um yeah. But you also, I, I want to talk about those, both those things, but um, you do tutoring or uh, you have done tutoring up in Nottingham and stuff. And I was just wondering, having seen university, how it's taught now, when you were at university, is there, is there, has there been much of a change from, obviously apart from like CAD modelling and stuff, but actually the way it's taught and all the things that you did. I mean, when you were back at uni, is, it, is the similar system still in place? I mean, has it changed that much? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably the same, really. Mm. I mean, I think, yeah, there's computers everywhere, but I think... Um, 
yeah, certainly Nottingham University, which we have a good relationship with. Mm. Um, you know, still guys carving bits of foam up to make models and things, and um, and working on by hand on drawing boards a bit as well. Um, no, I th- I don't think it's changed that much. I think, in a way, the um, you know the architectural education is in, in a whole new subject, um, yeah. which you know with the you know the amount of money it's costing to go through architecture school at the moment. I mean, you know, people are looking at alternatives. Um, it's crazy, isn't it? Because I mean, you know it's a lot of money. I, mean, I, I, I couldn't have afforded to do it now. I don't think I don't. I, nine grand a year, mm-hmm. plus all your living expenses. Yeah, you're looking like seventy grand or something. For <laughs> it. it seems, you know, yeah, architecture is fantastic, but it's never going to pay off a seventy grand debt. I mean, well, it might do. Might do one day, one day. And uh, but how was so? Did how was uni for you? Was it were you? Yeah, and no, I went to Leicester Polytechnic. Um, I was uh, um, I had a grant, so you know that you, basically in those days you got paid to go. Um, oh, wasn't awesome. very, wasn't very much, uh, but you got enough money to sort of live on. Um, the uni was great. I mean, I had a great time at Leicester. I was there uh, all the way through. I did my year out at Foster's um, on Willis Faber in Ipswich, which was fantastic. And then went back. Wow. And in my final year at um, university, I also worked full time at Foster's. So I did a sort of night shift on university work, and then worked during the day. That uh, sounds like twelve months. Pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Though. I mean, I loved it. We had a great time. And I think um, you know, Leicester School of Architecture was a um, at the time was great. It went through a bit of a dip, and then it's you know come back again. Um, so anybody from it's now called De Montfort University, of course. But anybody from De Montfort, I tend to interview just to see what's what's going on. Yeah. Um, just to, you know, to see, make sure the school's doing doing well. Wow. It's, uh, so the other things, so the other things you're involved with. Um, so the Future Spaces Foundation. That's yeah. something you've run. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something we've always we had. So when we set up Make, we had another brand called Spatial Futures, um, and that was a sort of um, the idea of actually being able to have do research and have a sort of little ginger group to actually do research and um, you know, look at things outside the normal day job. <clears throat> Nothing ever happened because we were too, just too busy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ten years in, we then managed to um, set up the Future Spaces Foundation, which is a similar idea to actually look at. Uh, environments, the way people live, the way people uh, enjoy the world, understand the world, um, and we've done. We did the first um, year. We looked at um, the high streets, and the second year we looked at garden cities. And this year we're looking at something else. Um, and I think it's become. It's really good. We've got a great collection of people who've come together to sort of like a think tank to talk about things. We produced quite a nice report two years running, which has gone through to government. Um, so for people who don't know what the Future Spacious Foundation is, what, how would you describe it? I mean, I, I th- it's, it's about um, exploring um, you know, uh, neighbourhoods and communities and the way people respond to, the, respond to the world, trying to make, you know, make places better, make environments better. Um, but, you know, not just as we are here on a project mm-hmm. basis, actually looking at it on a much more, on a much wider basis. And pulling in experts from centre of cities, you know, futurologists, all sorts of fun, really? all sorts of people. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's a think tank as much as anything. Yeah, it's like a think tank, um, and it's you know it's got me and John Previck from here um, working. Like we had Greg helped out and Francis last year on the um, Garden Cities thing. So you know it, it depends on what we're doing. We and I think it, we, you know it will evolve to become um, you know very significant over time as, mm. a, as a sort of as a think tank for actually making. Um, you know, informing policy, and then so how does how does that kind of so working at making and doing that? How, how do you find that feeds back into make? Is it does it affect decisions we have? Yeah, I think or? no, I think it does because I think you know we've explored the um, the garden cities thing, you know, in great depth, and we had a debate here, if you remember, um, in the office about it, and you know we've all concluded in fact gardens is a really bad idea, and we should actually work on brownfield sites in city centres to sort of you know to increase the density mm. in cities and not build all over the green belt. Um, you know, and that I think means that you know, as as mate, we don't take on a project that builds all over the green belt. So, you know, so there was a project, Sutton Coalfield, which is to build over the green belt, which we turned down. You know, because that's you know, from the research, you know, that's the wrong thing to do as far as we're concerned. So it does actually affect what we do, what we don't do. You know, it was saying like what what kind of keeps you motivated and stuff. It must just another avenue of things to yeah. research and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess, especially not having architects and other non-architects yeah. in there, they, they all have totally different angles to look at and view yeah. stuff. So it must be, yeah. So so the future space thing, is that is there like online information? There's like documents? Stuff yeah, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely there's a website and there's um, stuff on the website which you can, people can go and look at. Um, I think it's going to, you know, it will become a, a great thing over time. 
Well, I think it's, it goes back to my point about, you know, being curious. I mean, mm. I'm, you know, the curiosity that we have for the world as architects, you know, I have that in, in, in buckets. So, you know, well, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm really interested in yeah. whether it's, you know, flying, you know, the, the way that NASA can put a, um, you know, a sort of small Sputnik on a on a rock flying at 165,000 <laughs> miles an hour. Um, you know, all that stuff. I'm really interested in you know, yeah. the whole, you know, the whole world, really, you know, how, how things work, how things, um, you know, not just about, individual buildings but you know the whole environment that we actually live in because you've also it just other things as well you've also i've seen you, you you're sketching on your ipad and stuff as well don't you yeah there's, there's loads of like that's a christmas card isn't it yeah it's christmas cards on the ipad so that's a program called brushes that i think is a really great a really nice program on the ipad mm. and you can use it um and you know my paintings right when i get time to paint uh, a quite abstract painting and I try and disassociate um, my architecture with my painting because in architecture obviously you're thinking all the time and you have mm. to sort of you, you design everything whereas in painting um, you try not to do that you just try and let the paint and the brushes work for themselves um, which is quite difficult to do because you, yeah. you train not to do that I know I, I, th- I found that when I came off Broadgate was going, going back onto a project where we were just every week changing was I, I took me a couple of weeks to just stop drumming in detail straight away and to like kind of stand back and it's mm. that's I think because especially when makes got so big now I guess people would naturally assume that you know well you run make you can't be involved in all the projects but it seems that you know we have like weekly or almost daily now meetings where you come over and we kind of sketch ideas and stuff so it's trying to get used to that kind of speed of development you know trying to even with all our modern CAD equipment, we're still we're still making loads of foam models. Still sketching. Yeah. Still sketching, mm. still making massive laser cut models out of card and foam, mm. which we hilariously wheel to meetings, which uh, I, we had to take a big model and there was the downdraft from a skyscraper, knocked my skyscraper clean <laughs> <laughs> off into the road. But um, so, and, and, so the Cape Council, which is no more, it's called the Design Design Council. Yeah, it's the Design Council Cape. Yeah, so it's it's the old Cape. So Cape was um, commissioned for the architecture built environment, um, which then lost its funding. Um, mm. Must be about three years ago, and it, it basically merged with the Design Council, um, and it's basically doing design review. So it's now self funded, which is quite interesting. So self funded. Gov- yeah, oh, so right. the government withdrew the the funding, um, and it had you know it was about ninety people, and it was at its its peak. Um, doing lots of stuff, okay, not just design review, but uh, enabling, you know, helping people out on designing their projects around the country, and all that got got scrapped. Um, so, doing design review, and there's a few people here now. Uh, I think John and Ian are both um, on what's called a B, which is a built environment expert, and they um, go to design reviews, and, uh, and that's what Cave's really become as a sort of design review. Um, sort of service that you can buy. So if you go around the country, you know, wherever you go, there's always a design review panel. There's always a a panel of experts from the local area who are, um, you know, give comment on architecture, which is great, you know. Um, and I think what happens is that Cave are flogging that service around the country. It seems to be, you know, do you think that's, it's important to have that kind of, I guess, outsider perspective to kind of critique architects? I think it's always good to be, um, it's always good to criticise what you, you know, look... Um, uh, to look critically at what you're doing and, and, you know, and having some outside help every now and again just to help that, you know, to say, are you sure about that? You know, or mm. you know, have you thought about this? And it, it's always, I always think, because of that exploration side of me, I always think, oh, that's interesting. We haven't looked at that. Or, mm. yeah, that's, that's no, we're not going to do that. Or, you know, just be interested to um, to get other opinions. And I think, you know, the, I mean, the Broadgate scheme that evolved over 12 months, continuous yeah. uh, self, you know, analysis of that with, you know, with people coming in from outside to look at it as well. Um, that was I'm, quite intense, I remember. It was yeah. like, because especially when you're presenting to a total outsider. So it's, again, I always remember that they just, they see it from afresh. And yeah. you, you, you don't lose perspective, but you, you know, you can't step back far enough to see it from what it is. So I remember those being really helpful. I mean, they were tough and stressful, but they, they, they were helpful, mm, I think, in the yeah. end. And um, I've just noticed on my notes, another one you've got is uh, this, you're in the science... Building museum, yeah. So the, so the science, yeah. So the science museum, um, you know, has a, a advisory panel, um, which is on their master plan, which is basically on all their design and their projects. And uh, I got, I've been involved with that for the last twelve months. So that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So they've got, you know, some great projects. They've got Zaha doing a part of one of their, you know, galleries. They've got, <laughs> um, they've got all sorts of interesting architects involved. Uh, Wilkinson Air have done quite a lot down there. Um, and we're just like a set as me and uh, Steve McGovern, a guy called Nick Kirk, Kirkbride, who are 
the three founding members of this. And we are, um, you know, different skills, and we just advise um, the team on what they, you know, what they should and shouldn't look for. Um, I'm quite enjoying that. It's quite good fun because, you know, the Science Museum has sort of been left behind, really. If you look at, um, you know, it's got, obviously got big new galleries, but some of the old galleries are the same as they were when I was a child. You know, they're literally the, literally the same as when I was you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. Um, so there's a big room for um, change there. So I've quite enjoyed doing that. It's been really I was going to say, especially think of the opportunity. I remember we went to a, a science museum in Germany. I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to fish it out. And, uh, some of the stuff they had in there was made. It was a Zaha building, and it was a science yeah. museum over in Germany, and uh, it was incredible because, yeah. like, instead, unlike a gallery where I don't know, there's there's more there's more requirements. The science museum, it's kind mm. of it's, it's supposed to kind of engage the creative imagination, isn't mm. it? So you can kind of yeah, maybe make need to do a science museum. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, there's you know there's a really good one by Renzo in San Francisco, which I went to see as well. So there's, you know, I think the and the objects they have down at the science museum are amazing. They've got you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, well, I think so. We'll wrap it up. So, what what what's kind of next to make? Like, what, what are the kind of is it? I think I think the um, it's just do better and better buildings. I don't think there's any. You know, we're not saying we have to be. You mm. know, earning so much money that we, we don't do any of that. We don't do any. You know, targets. Um, you know, we're not um, trying to break into every country in the world. I think we just want to better and better buildings. And I think I think there'd be a, a mood here um, to do some cultural work. Mm. Um, you know, which would be great, but you know, very difficult to get. Yeah. Um, you know, and we'll move towards that. We could. I would love to do a, a freestanding and more freestanding towers, mm. maybe an airport, uh, more public buildings. Um, you know, but that's that's fine. It, it, you know, we've got there's plenty of time yet to yeah. do all that. You know. <laughs> and I still you know, still enjoy the office buildings. Absolutely love office buildings. Absolutely love. Yeah. Um, and I'm now um, junior junior vice president of the BCO British Council offices, so I'll be organising the. Um, British Council Office's big conference in 2017, which will be good fun. Wow. So, so that's quite good fun. If you need cyclists for that, you yeah, know, I need cyclists. You know to come. Yeah. Yeah. We need cycl- <laughs> lots of cyclists for that. Yeah. Well, I'll wrap it up for that. Thank you, Ken. That was really helpful. Thanks. Thank you. And there you go. That was episode seven of the Create More podcast with Ken Shutterworth. Um, yeah, it was a. Uh, it was great just listening back to that. I just uh, suddenly realised uh, how much how much fun it actually was. It was uh, it was hilarious. I mean, I, I do try and describe what the room was like at the beginning, but it was literally a three meter by one and a half meter room. It was actually an old store cupboard, and uh, when they found out I was doing the podcast, and uh, I spoke to Sharon and Carly and Martha, and they were very helpful. And uh, Ken wanted setups like a like a room to do Skype calls and uh, and video conferencing and stuff and and interviews and I said, well, I jumped to the chance and they were like, oh, Ben's very proactive, uh, not knowing I wanted to use it 100% for the uh, podcast. And so within literally the space of 24 hours, I'd uh, speed ordered some soundproof material, cleaned this cupboard out, and uh, it went from being a broom cupboard, quite literally a broom cupboard, to being my little uh, recording studio. And I've got to be honest, the glue that we stuck up the acoustic foam in that room Bear in mind, I'd literally just stuck it all together. Uh, the room was completely surrounded in it. And I won't lie to you, I went really lightheaded. Uh, Ken seemed to be absolutely fine with it. Uh, but the last five minutes of the interview, I was thinking, because the door was obviously shut. There was no ventilation. And I, I swear to God, I can still smell it now. And obviously, you're supposed to leave the room open. Uh, I didn't. Uh, left it over. Left it closed the whole night. And yeah, it was... Um, yeah. It's a bit, uh, a bit much it was. So uh, it's been set up now properly. But uh, yeah, that was brilliant fun. And now I have basically a recording studio. So I also recorded Alistair Parvin in there as well, uh, which he found very amusing because uh, a few of the tiles slowly started to peel off the wall as I was interviewing him. Um, but yeah, that was really good fun. So I, I hope you enjoyed that. And uh, next fortnight's podcast is a mystery. Uh, because everyone's on summer holiday and I may have one, two, three or none podcasts for you in the next two weeks. So it's hard having to do a podcast every two weeks. Uh, I am trying to keep the momentum up, but uh, people are busy over summer. People people have kids and lives. So uh, yeah, I remain hopeful. It might be, I'll tell you what, I'll build it up. It might be Johnny Tucker from Blueprint. It might be 
uh, Chris from Studio Octopi who does the Thames Bath and it might be Victoria who does open school uh, for architecture. So, ooh, which one will it be? Um, yeah, so I really hope you listen to the next one. Subscribe if you like it or share it with, uh, oh yeah, forgot to say, we've crashed past the thousand downloads now. So, uh, yeah, so uh, you guys uh, seem to be genuinely enjoying it. And I got loads of really nice response from Alistair Parvin one. Um, lots of lots, lots of nice responses about that. So, uh yeah, I'm going to continue down that avenue, actually. Um, I'm rambling now. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. Share it. Check me out on Twitter. Uh, if you want to chat to me, I'm on Twitter at Played Studio. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much and uh, speak to you soon. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.